It's time now for the complete story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's complete story. Well, folks, I'm glad to be with you. My dad is taking a day off from the complete story today, but we have a fantastic program, and I think it's going to be very timely, too. You know, we're a little bit more than a year into the Donald Trump presidency, and uh, about a year and three months since the inauguration, and what a momentous sea change that has brought. A lot of people are still trying to come to grips with that. What does that mean, and what does that mean for Christians? And how to understand that, especially how to understand that in light of God's Word. Well, we have a guest for you today that has written a book. The book is entitled God and Donald Trump. And uh, Gordon Robertson, uh, the president of uh, the Christian Broadcasting Network, you see him on the 700 Club, he wrote this about that book. He said, if you woke up the day after the 2016 election wondering what just happened, then this is the book for you. Well, uh, this was written by uh, Stephen Strang, and uh, he is the award-winning journalist, entrepreneur, businessman, and author who understands that the Word of God is the key toward a deeper relationship with Him capital H. Stephen Strang is the founder and president of Charisma Media, which in addition to Charisma publishes Ministry Today, the Spanish magazine Vida Cristiana, and Christian Retailing. Stephen's mission is to empower people through spirit-inspired resources. Stephen Strang wants us to be passionate about God. His insights are powerful and his guidance actively sought by others. So he is also the author of this book that we're going to talk about today, God and Donald Trump. So Stephen Strang, thank you for being with us on today's Complete Story. Well, thank you for the privilege. I've been looking forward to this. How are you, Rich? I'm just great, and uh, well, it's a beautiful day here in in Kansas City, where I happen to be, and uh, uh, this particular topic is, uh, we might say, well, my goodness, that was over a year ago, but my goodness, we're only one year into this into this new presidency, and there have been ups and downs, and starting with the appointment of Neil Gorsuch, I think that was a tremendous up. And uh, so to answer Gordon Robertson's question, what just happened in that election, people are going to have to read your book. But uh, tell us about how you came to believe that Donald Trump was the right person to support in this election. I don't, I'm not sure that he was the first one during the primary process that you were in favor of. Uh, you're right about that. In fact, I didn't support Donald Trump initially because of the lifestyle issues, you know, the ones that the secular media like to keep bringing up. That's true. Uh, I was a Ted Cruz guy, and I supported Ted Cruz right up until the time he dropped out. Um, I frankly didn't think Donald Trump was going to make it through the primaries. Um, I didn't know a lot about him, and what I did know, um, you know, was that he was into gambling, he'd been divorced, um, he had a reputation as a playboy, not the kind of person I like to support. But by the time Ted Cruz dropped out in early May 2016, uh, I became aware of several things that I felt was important to put on the record, and that's why I wrote the book. One of the things is that there were a number of certain Christian leaders were starting to use the comparison between Trump and King Cyrus, who was the pagan king from Persia, that God used for, his, uh, for the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem. And 
I began to think if God could use Cyrus, and the scripture literally says in Isaiah 45, um, I have called you even though you do not know me. And I thought if he could use Cyrus, he can use an imperfect politician. And, of course, as time has passed, and especially as I wrote this book, I, you know, I, I talk about the fact that God used a lot of imperfect people in the Bible. I yes. mean, look at King David. Look what? at even the Apostle Paul who killed Christians. And so I believe well, And you can look at all of us. We're all imperfect people. You're absolutely right about that. And, you know, I've been asked this question uh, about him changing, um, and I believe that he did change. I've been asked on secular media. I was asked on CNN uh, Holy Week about this, and I said that he's changed. I said I believe that he's accepted uh, Christ as Savior. I oh, is that right? In the book, God and Donald Trump. I don't know it personally, but I quote several people who say that they have prayed with the president, and also his attitude has changed. He likes being around Christian leaders. He likes being prayed for. There's lots of things on YouTube that you can see where in different settings uh, Christian leaders and pastors would gather around him and lay a hands on him, uh, kind of in the uh, Pentecostal style, and pray for yeah. him, and he seems to like it. I've never known any other president to be prayed for in a, a public setting with laying on of hands. You know what? Um uh, certainly no one is beyond the reach of God's grace, and that's something that we need to remember. And that's why it's always important to pray for our leaders, pray for those that rule over us. Of course, in our form of government, it's the people that are the ultimate authority, and we never ne- we never want to lose sight of that responsibility. But uh, it seems like how important it is to pray for that person that's in the Oval Office, uh, because it must be very lonely at times. Uh, that's interesting that you you you, you believe that that there may be um, an actual personal conversion with respect to Donald Trump. Of course, that's something that only the Lord knows. But we can ex- inspect the fruit, and uh, I see with the very first Supreme Court justice that he appointed to the Supreme Court or nominated for the Supreme Court in Neil Gorsuch. He had promised to appoint a pro-life justice to the Supreme Court, and he fulfilled that promise. He promised to do something about that Johnson Amendment that that is kind of a uh, a knife that, that hangs over the head of uh, pastors if they speak about uh, if they speak about candidates and election issues and so forth. So it's a freedom of speech in the pulpit uh, type of issue. And many, many other issues, uh, life, liberty, religious liberty, he's spoken to that and taken steps in those regards that are consistent with advancing the gospel. I, I I tell people that I believe in that last election the Lord held open the door of religious liberty. It was beginning to close, and it has been propped open for a season, and we don't know how long that season is, but it's incumbent upon the Church to use the opportunities that we have with our religious liberties to advance the gospel and to advance the kingdom of God. Don't you agree with that idea that we've been granted a reprieve? If he hadn't—if he he didn't uh, um, do anything else in his first term, but appoint Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. I believe that his first term was a success. That's how important I believe that appointment is. But he has accomplished a lot of things. In fact, the secular media 
when I've been uh, interviewed several times, they keep hammering me about the character issues, which is, uh-huh. isn't as interesting that the secular media even cares about character issues, but it's like they're trying to drive a wedge between this president and his base, especially conservative Christians. It's like they done a 180-degree turn as opposed to their, their view as to character issues with respect to Bill Clinton. Oh, I'm, absolutely. I made that point on CNN and also John Kennedy. Uh, the press turned a blind eye to kind of what was generally known, that he had many affairs uh, while he was in the White House. But and, and, Allison, and that's not to excuse or condone any of that kind of activity, oh, is it? Ab- absolutely. I mean, none of us condone that. I don't condone that. When I was on CNN, I said, I don't, they were asking me about Stormy Daniels. I said, I don't condone her lifestyle in any way. And uh, I said those allegations, I don't know if they're true or not, but they happened a long time ago. And so I found myself uh, actually speaking up for the Lord in these settings, because they said, why did people support, why did Christian people support him when he's so flawed? I said, well, first of all, Hillary Clinton was very, very flawed, and it was down to either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. I believe that she's the most corrupt uh, politician ever to run for president. But I said that millions of people, millions of Christians, were believing that America was moving in the wrong direction, and we prayed, and we prayed that God would raise somebody up. And what I like to say is that God raised up someone we didn't expect and in a lot of ways didn't even like. But as we've gotten to know him, uh, we have found out that he's actually very nice behind the scenes. I got to interview him in 2016. I was surprised with how respectful and how gentle uh, his demeanor was in that uh, interview. And people who are around him say that he's genuinely a nice guy behind the scenes. I believe that he likes a certain amount of chaos uh-huh. to kind of disrupt things, and that he's actually kind of playing chess with some of the, you know, outlandish things he's, he seems to say and do, especially uh, things like um, the, with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and so forth. We could go on about that, but I believe that there's a spiritual significance. I believe that God has a will. The secular community does not believe that. A lot of Christians act like they don't even believe it. But I believe that God has a will. I believe that he has a, a, a purpose for America. I believe that he, as you said, that he has really given us a reprieve. Mm-hmm. And don't you believe that it, it's, it's beyond just the idea of personal corruption, uh, whether it's uh, Hillary's corruption or the, the problems with Donald Trump's life and, and so forth, but it's about legitimate and drastic policy differences? And on the one case, you had a policy that was very much pro-Planned Parenthood, pro uh, every form of uh, sexual perversion, and uh, every everything that would drive America further and further down that that terrible road, as opposed to religious liberty, uh, right to life on the Supreme Court, and and those types of differences. It was just couldn't have been starker in terms of policy differences. You're right, and getting back to the issues about character, which the press keep bringing up, and I just want to give a disclaimer. You know, there are Christians, sincere Christians, uh, you know, most of them are sort of left of center, who are just abhorred that Christians would approve uh, someone like Donald Trump. 
Um, and I respect them as Christians. I think they're wrong, but I respect them as Christians. But, you know, on this character issue, Mark Thiessen, who's a very articulate uh, writer, wrote just last week in the Washington Post that Donald Trump has a character issue, has a character trait that is to be admired, and that is that he keeps his promises. I mean, George Bush and some of the others said one thing when they ran and did very little when they got in the White House for some of these important conservative, especially religious liberty kind of issues. Donald Trump has kept promise after promise after promise. In fact, the pundits are just amazed that he is very consistent as president of what he was as a neophyte candidate. I think that the character issue of keeping your promises uh, is very important. As a good example of that, all of these presidents uh, going back many, many, many years promised to make Jerusalem uh, the location for the U.S. Embassy. They're going to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And they promised that they'd do that, and then they'd say, no, we're going to delay that, we're going to delay that, we're going to delay that, and they never did. Donald Trump said, we're going to make Jerusalem the location for our embassy, and he has kept that promise, as simple as that. Isn't that wonderful? You know, we as Christians believe that part of the reason that God has blessed America is because we have blessed uh, Israel, uh, all the way back to Harry Truman. And Donald Trump said, not only will we move the embassy, but we'll do it by May when they had their 70th uh, anniversary of the establishment of the Jewish state in uh, 1948. And it's just amazing that he's done that. I think that's very, very significant. I'm glad you th- that you brought it up because, you know, there are things on God's agenda, and I believe that. Israel is in God's agenda. Oh, I agree. I agree. This book now, uh, God and Donald Trump, let me read a couple of more endorsements. Uh, Todd Starnes from Fox News Channel says, God and Donald Trump may very well be one of the most important books about the Trump presidency. Uh, Former Congress lady uh, Michelle Bachman from Minnesota says, everyone is curious about the topic of God and Donald Trump. I'm confident you'll be pleased by what you read. And, of course, Dr. Robert Jeffress, senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, writes, It's a well-written, much-needed look at the undeniable hand of God working in our nation's most recent presidential election. So uh, tell us more about the book and where people can get it. Well, I got a lot of nice endorsements, which we really appreciated, and the book is available at Barnes & Noble, Mardell's, lots of Christian bookstores, and, of course, it's most... It's easiest to get it on Amazon.com. I'm thankful that the book has been a bestseller. There does seem to be a lot of interest in it. But I didn't really write it just to sell books. You know, I'm a publisher. I've published over 2,000 books. Uh, We've had 14 on the New York Times bestseller list, so we've had success. But I didn't do it for that reason. Uh, In 2003, we published a book called The Faith of George W. Bush, which was our first New York Times bestseller. The book was my idea, uh, and we actually recruited a very capable writer to write it, and he did a good job. So when the election happened, which I had a little bit of involvement with, uh, because I went to the election night party, I went to the inauguration, I was involved with Christian leaders behind the scenes, you know, trying to uh, you know, figure out what to do and then to support Donald Trump. So instead of 
assigning it to Ryder, I assigned it to myself. And it's actually been a very interesting experience. But for me, it gave me an opportunity to speak up about some of these Christian issues um, in our culture. I mean, how often do the secular media even deal with these kinds of things? Yet they're asking about character issues. Uh, Allison Camerato from uh, CNN uh, asked me about his famous quote on, uh, you know, he said he'd never ask for forgiveness. He did that in a political debate. It was kind of a gotcha question, and he probably wasn't really thinking. But, I mean, they have just quoted it again and again and again that he hasn't asked for forgiveness. You know, I probably should have brought up, and I, but I didn't have time. That That's not you know, a very theological answer, is it? That's not theologically correct, is it? No, it's it's not. And, of course, whether or not he's asked God for forgiveness is between him and God. But, you know, about 15 years ago, uh, he started watching Christian television late at night. And I document this in my book, God and Donald Trump. He watched Paula White, and he called Paula's office one day. It shocked her and said that he had some uh, questions about spiritual things. Would she meet with him? She did. A friendship ensued, and she ended up praying uh, at the inauguration, uh, you know, which is a high honor. Uh, he also watched David Jeremiah, mm -hmm. uh, who had a um, conference in New York City, and, and uh, President Trump, you know, uh, then just a private citizen, and his wife Melania were sitting on the front row and told uh, Dr. Jeremiah after the conference or after the evening was over that they never missed any of his programs. I mean, who would have thought mm. that someone like Donald Trump was being exposed to the gospel through Christian television? And I think he got more serious about life. He cleaned up his act. The stuff they criticize him about, other than his latest tweet, uh, is mostly <laughs> from a long time ago. And I told these secular uh, interviewers, I said, we Christians believe in forgiveness. We, everyone has something that we're thankful that God has forgiven us for, and so we're, we're willing to forgive Donald Trump and to believe that he has changed. Mm -hmm. But regardless of what he does in his private life, it's the policies that are so important. You've already enumerated uh, a number of them, uh, but also uh, things on the right to life, uh, supporting persecuted Christians. We could go right down the line that his policies are very important to Christians, probably more so than any other president mm -hmm. in recent memory. Is, is uh, he may not be the most pro, he may not be the most religious president we've had, but he's probably the most pro-religion uh, president. And religious liberty. At least a long time. And, and I'm just thrilled that he recently appointed uh, our governor from Kansas, uh, Governor Sam, Sam Brownback, to be in charge of international religious liberty. And he'll be a wonderful person to uh, advocate for religious freedom. Uh, across the world, and that's that's a wonderful oh, thing. I now, I want to ask you, now, going back to the summer of 2016, after Donald Trump had secured the nomination, there was a gathering of about a thousand Christian leaders from across the country in New York City, and Donald Trump addressed them. I believe you were part of that group. Wasn't that kind of a turning point in how people of faith began to view the potential of his presidency? Absolutely. I was invited to that meeting. I thought there'd be maybe 150, 200 people. There ended up being over 1,000. I was actually 
uh, scheduled that day to be on the Jim Baker show, believe it or not, about something else. And I just decided, hey, I don't want to be a face in a crowd. I'm going to try to get my own interview, which thankfully I was able to get later on. Anyway, that was a turning point, and I document this in the book, God and Donald Trump, you know, some of the things that happened, but he won the group over. He won a lot of the influencers over that day, and, it, you know, by that time, it was pretty clear that uh, he had the Republican nomination and that Hillary Clinton had the Democratic uh, nomination, and I think that a lot of people, of course, a lot of people would have voted against Hillary Clinton just whoever was doing it. But I, be, I think they began to see that the president, you know, articulated uh, policies that he wanted to do that we've already discussed and that, you know, he was at least wor- uh, worth taking a, a chance on. Let me uh, go back in time just a minute now to the actual the inauguration of Donald Trump in Washington, D.C., back in January of 2017. This is what he had to say about his campaign. As I've said from the beginning... Ours was not a campaign, but rather an incredible and great movement made up of millions of hardworking men and women who love their country and want a better, brighter future for themselves and for their family. It's a movement comprised of Americans from all races, religions, backgrounds, and beliefs who want and expect our government to serve the people and serve the people it will. So he talked about all peoples coming together and to be a a president for the entire nation. And uh, one of them that prayed at the uh, the prayer service the next day, the National Prayer Service, was Dr. Alveda King. And she's the niece of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And uh, this is what she had to say about your book, by the way. She said, this is a must-read book. Uh, It reaches far beyond politics into the redeeming frequencies that America surely needs. And that's what Alveda King said about the book. And this is what she said when she prayed at the National Prayer Service. Oh, Lord, our God, accept the fervent prayers of all your people for our nation and for all those who govern. Lord God Almighty, you have made all the peoples of the earth for your glory to serve you in freedom and in peace. Give to the people of our country a zeal for justice and the strength of forbearance. Keep this nation under your care. And that's the way she prayed at the National Prayer Service a little more than a year ago, uh, right after the inauguration of Donald Trump. Stephen Strang is our guest on the broadcast today. He's written a book. The book is God and Donald Trump. And Stephen, how should we be praying for the president today? You know, there were more prayers at that inauguration than any inauguration in the history of America. How should we be praying for our president today? And I document that in the book. um, And I quote Alveda King in the book, talking about how African Americans um, supported him, uh, not in huge numbers, but in higher numbers than anyone expected, because... Uh, I think there is beginning to be a shift. I mean, look what he's done with the unemployment rate in the black community. You know, just lots of very positive things. Now, in terms of 
praying for our president, you know, we should pray for all all of our leaders. I I pray daily for the governor of my state and for President Trump. I prayed for President Obama and President Bush before him. Uh, we're supposed to, and so we can live righteous and godly lives in in peace, mm-hmm. as the Scripture says. And I think it's very important to pray. And what I hope my book does, God and Donald Trump, is that it kind of makes the case for the fact that somehow, some way, God raised up this unlikely leader, uh, and that that He has plans and purposes not only for Donald Trump, for America. But we cannot expect the president, this president or any president, to really change things in America. All we can hope is that he can maybe shift things and give us some cover. So really, the church can be the church. You know, we could talk a long time about how our country is in the mess it is, largely because the church was kind of silent. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they took prayer out of public schools uh, in 1962, uh, the su- famous Supreme Court decision, uh, Christians were very quiet. You know, there was no marching in the streets, no uh, objecting. It was almost like everybody was afraid, like there was nothing they could do. And, of course, that was just the first domino to fall. Right. Um, with other things like uh, Bible reading and so forth being taken out of schools, too. It was almost like there was a dichotomy between the secular and the sacred, and that's something the secular world is doing, but we Christians are over here doing something else, and we shouldn't get involved in that. When, in point of fact, we should have had a very loud voice in the the debate that was taking place at that time. Historically, uh, Christians have, evangelicals have. I mean, the abolitionist uh, movement Mm -hmm. was straight out of the evangelical community. Right. Uh, we were kind of in the majority back then. Now, there are a lot of things that were imperfect, like slavery and yeah. so forth, but it was ended. 400,000 people paid with their lives to end this horrible blight on our nation. That's right. And we could go right down the line, and many of our presidents have been um, yeah. you know, church-going, sincere Christians. There was at least an underpinning of kind of a a moral consensus that certain right. things were right and certain things are wrong, and we've gotten away from that, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And it looked like the other side was winning every time that anything came up and the Christians were losing and there was nothing we could do, and we were told we should keep our mouths uh, shut and be quiet and just go along. That's right. And it just finally got to a point where something had to be done. So wouldn't it be just like God to raise up an outsider mm. who nobody expected, someone right. who acknowledges him? But uh, there are a lot of interesting stories in the book, God and Donald Trump. Oh, like that. I, can't wait to, I can't wait to read it. Um, I, t- going back to the inauguration a little bit more than a year ago, one more time, and you remember it was kind of a cloudy, blustery day, but the Lord held off the rain until just before Franklin Graham prayed, and it started to drizzle a little bit. And he made a reference to that just as he began praying, and I'd like to take our listeners back and once again at the inauguration, which had more prayers associated with it than any any previous inauguration in the history of our country. And one thing I noticed is overwhelmingly the prayers were prayed in the name of Jesus, which was just a remarkable thing to hear. Mr. President, in the Bible, rain is a sign of God's blessing. And it started to rain, Mr. President, when you came to the platform. And it's my prayer that God will bless 
you, your family, your administration, and may he bless America. The passage of Scripture comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we've have to, we have to conclude this now, but Stephen Strang, thank you for being with us, uh, publisher of Charisma Magazine and author of the book God and Donald Trump, which I notice also is, has a foreword by Governor Mike Huckabee. But uh, Stephen Strang, thank you for being with us on today's Complete Story. I want to encourage everybody to get that book, God and Donald Trump. It'll be a very important uh thing to read to give you a good perspective on history and what is happening right now, I believe. Don't, wouldn't you say it has a tremendous application to today, Stephen? It does, and I really appreciate you allowing me to talk about it. I have so much respect for you and your dad and Bot Radio, and I'm just glad to get the word out um, you know, about God and Donald Trump. All right. Thank you, sir, and thank you for listening today, folks, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> 